Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church for the worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. What does Barah Ministries stand for? We are Christians, not non-denominational Christians, not evangelical Christians, not a part of a Christian religion because Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ nor any of the other non-biblical words the world likes to attach to the simplicity of being a Christian. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God. He said so himself in John chapter 10, verse 30. He said, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father are one. And what he meant by that is that we are the same in essence and we are the same in nature. At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the word of God from God's perspective, And not from man's perspective. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says this, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. By studying the word of God, Christians get to know the Lord and his thoughts. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, the Lord reminds us why this is important. My sons, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my mandates. Proverbs 3, 2, for my words will add length to your days and years to your life and the peace of God to your soul. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom the Lord made the ruler of this world, and his primary aim against believers in Christ is to lure us away from the firm and victorious foundation of our union with Christ by making us doubt God and doubt the promises of his word. And the Lord warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 5, 9, but resist him and keep on being firm in your faith. Satan has no power over us. Satan has no authority over us. He simply has a big mouth, and he loves using it to entice us to do things that hurt us. As believers in Christ, we say no thanks. We're foolish to listen to him. Today's Bible lesson, what is at the very heart of Christianity? What is at the very heart of Christianity? I heard a man call his best friend a Christian, a good Christian, and I wondered what such a being is like. False teachers would have the answer, and every contention would be preceded by you gotta. Okay, you got to believe in Christ, 
but you also got to keep the sacraments. You got to fast. You got to be circumcised. Ladies, I don't know what to tell you. You got to go to church without ever missing. You got to have a, never have a bad thought. You get the picture. All these you gotta's are things that no one could ever do, including those who impose such nonsense on Christians. The simple answer to what makes a person a good Christian comes from God's perspective. Love. Unconditional love. Good Christians live unconditional love, the most important gift from God. In today's passage, we'll see how God slaughtered the Ugatas once and for all time. In addition to studying the next passage in Paul's letter to the Colossians, as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. All right, well, let's hear some music. God doesn't consider Christians to be like dolphins, so he doesn't flip us fish, and he doesn't give us hoops to jump through. Here's June Murphy to remind us of what the Lord has done for us in one of the best songs anyone has ever written, When I Say I Love You.
song. Paints a little different picture of God than religion paints, doesn't it? Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for making it easy to follow you. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to do the hard work on the cross that makes being a Christian easy for all of us. Thank you for your inclusive approach to salvation You are willing to save whosoever. Thank you for loving us unconditionally when we we chose to become your enemy by committing personal sins. Thanks for resolving a problem that was not yours by letting your son do the work to reconcile us to you. And thank you for God the Holy Spirit who leads us into all the truth, who counteracts lies that attack Christians and confuse Christians in Satan's kingdom. As we learn this lesson today, use the passage to take us to the very heart of Christianity so that we continue to know the glorious riches you have provided to us without counting the cost. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what is at the very heart of Christianity? What is at the very heart of Christianity? The easy answer is Christ. And even though it was not pleasurable, yesterday I had the privilege of officiating a memorial service for a believer in Christ who recently went home to be with the Lord. 
It was the fourth member of this family I have done a memorial service for in the last five years. The Lord must consider this family special because he continues to send a truth-telling pastor to them when they are most vulnerable. And it was not pleasurable because I am attached to them. And this was the hardest of the ceremonies to conduct. The man's name was John Wayne Mercure, and he is a believer in Christ. The celebration was pretty emotional for me, so emotional that I fought to hold back the tears. From the moment anyone meets John, he becomes a part of you, without you noticing it. He has a positive effect on people. He had a huge personality and loads of charisma, and he was a kind man, all characteristics, powered by his relationship with the Lord. He, his 71-year best friend recalled the essence of who John is as a man, and his descriptions were accurate, genuine, and heartfelt. His granddaughters remembered him with an affection, that was born from the attention John paid to them by teaching them during their formative years of their lives. John poured his passion for learning into them, and it was easy to see his effect on them by hearing their words. It struck me deeply that John grew up poor, as did I. There's something special about growing up poor, especially when, as you get older, you're no longer poor. It's easy to forget the struggle until someone reminds you of how things were, and then all the old feelings come rushing back. So imagine living in poverty, and one day when you come home, there's an eviction notice nailed to your door. You have 30 days to get out. Let's look at today's passage, because the Lord Jesus Christ nailed an eviction notice to the cross, and this notice was for your benefit. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Colossians 2.10. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Colossians 2.11. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hand in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, Colossians 2.14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.15, and when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. A reminder, in this letter, Paul is warning a group of new believers in Christ in home-based churches at Colossae, at Laodicea, and at Aeropolis that now that they are running well in the Christian way of living, false teachers will infiltrate their churches with false teaching. 
Here are the two warnings from last week's lesson. Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 and 8. I, Paul, say that the things in the previous series of verses, so that no one will delude you with persuasive, fine-sounding arguments. That's what uh, false teachers do. They lure you away with fine-sounding arguments. When you're hearing the truth of the Word of God, you're bored, you're sleepy, but anybody starts sending you a satanic message, and all of a sudden you are alert. Oh, look at that. Look at the trouble I can get in. That's what typically happens with people. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. I love the Greek here. By kidnapping you with evil seduction designed to plunder you. What are the things in your life that are the evil seductions that are kidnapping you and designed to plunder you through philosophy and empty deceit, which is hollow and deceptive teaching, according to the traditions of men? That's what men want to do. They want you to follow them instead of following Christ. They want you to follow all their you gotas and not to follow the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, according to the elementary principles of the world, what this means is that the Gnostics, the people who were starting to attack this church at Colossae, wanted uh, the, the Colossians to believe that through angelic creatures, the world is influenced through the heavenly bodies. We know that today as astrology and horoscope. And they wanted everybody to read their horoscopes and pay more attention to that than to the Word of God. And there are people who check their horoscope every day and who think that that's going to inform them about what their day or what their week is going to be like. And unfortunately, my mom was one of those people. She Every day, she's reading Sidney Omar in the Chicago Sun-Times to find out what her day was going to be like. She was a cancer. And it's just... Just stuff like that is just so ridiculous. But that's what the false teachers are always proposing. They're always telling you, yeah, yeah, that Bible is that's really nice, but there's really other things that you need to pay attention to that would make you much more spiritual. Because you know, God, He isn't coming at you every day. He just comes at you on Sundays. So you need to check the horoscope because that'll get you something every day. Yeah, you can, you can check the Bible every day, too. But people aren't doing that. And, and what we ought to take from that is how willing we are to engage ourselves in these little rituals that tune us into people instead of tuning us into God. If I want to learn how to pray, who am I going to go to? Am I going to go to a guy or am I going to go to the one who invented prayer? I'd much rather go to the one who invented prayer. And that's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Go, go study John 17. You'll never finish it. You'll never get enough of studying his praying in John 17. Because he is the perfect prayer. All right, finishing up this Colossians 2.8. Rather than, so see to it that no one takes you captive by kidnapping you with evil seduction designed to plunder you through philosophy and empty deceit, which is hollow and deceptive teaching according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, through angelic creatures who influence the world through the heavenly bodies, astrology, rather than 
according to the thinking and the principles of Christ. I studied with a guy for 29 years who was a deity to the people who study with him. And if you make a suggestion that anything this guy taught was false, and I guarantee you 70% of what he taught was false, and furthermore, I know he knows that 70% of the stuff he taught was false, but you suggest that to one of his ites, you know, those are the people who are, are totally into him. They believe him hook, line, and sinker. Oh, you can, you can be a reversionist. You can backslide. You can have blackout of the soul. You, the, there are 10 problem-solving devices. When you commit a sin, you're out of fellowship with God. Now, now mind you, none of this can be supported with biblical truth unless you take particular verses out of context and remove them from the the pattern that's being established by the writers of Scripture. Yet, over and over again, he's done this, and these are people who are absolutely miserable in their lives, who are thinking as alleged Christians that they are disappointing God. Well, how can you think that you're disappointing God when God loves you unconditionally? Un means no. No conditions. So how can you disappoint a God who loves you unconditionally? How can you disappoint a God who forgives you totally for every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future? How can you disappoint a God who operates with grace, always giving you the things you don't deserve? How can you disappoint this God? You can't. But if you look at the horoscopes, you can. If you look at religions, you can. Because all the religions are teaching you that God is really bummed with you and that he's sitting up in the sky with the computer and he's tracking all of your sins and one day he's going to judge you and he's going to spit it all back in your face. No, he's not. No, he isn't. And I had that viewpoint of God for years. And you know what, the pres- what that is a prescription for? Misery. It's just a prescription for misery. It gives you an excuse to have one more thing to feel bad about. And that is not the way God wants you to feel. It is not the way God wants you to think. He does not want you to feel bad. He wants you to feel confident, comfortable. He wants you to have faith in him for everything. He wants you to have hope, which in Greek means absolute confidence for a beautiful future. And he wants you to love yourself first and foremost unconditionally, love him unconditionally, love others unconditionally, and let him be the one who provides the power for all three of those, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love abide in the sphere of these three, but the greatest of these is love. So what is Satan? The enemy of God, we're encapsulated in a sphere of grace. As believers in Christ, we're encapsulated in a sphere of grace. And the atmosphere within that sphere is unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. But what's Satan doing? He's outside with speakers broadcasting at our geodesic dome of grace. And he's telling us, God doesn't like you. God doesn't forgive you. Hey, are you sure you're saved? Maybe you just have a head belief and not a heart belief. Maybe you need some prosperity gospel. 
Maybe you need some lordship salvation. And adding all this other crap, <laughs> adding all this other crap to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. All right. So let's look at this passage. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15, verse by verse, and see what God has to say through the passage. Let's start with Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells. Godness, divinity, in bodily form. What does that mean exactly? That means that the Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's 100% God, 100% man, and one person forever. He is the unique person of the universe because nobody else is divine and human in essence in a single person. He is the preeminent one. There is no one like him. There never will be. He is the top of the food chain. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And in union with Jesus Christ, you believers in Christ have been made complete. What does that mean? That means that nothing needs to be added to Christianity, least of all any religious ritual or anything that you would do. Nothing needs to be added to it. And Jesus Christ is the head over all rule, over all authority whether the rulers are legitimate or whether the rulers are evil. God is the head of all of them. The false teachers wanted the Colossians to add to Christianity. The false teachers want you to add to Christianity. In analogy, they would say, look, it's okay if you drink Fiji water, but toilet water is good too. And then eventually, they would take away the Fiji water and get us to drink only toilet water. Amen? Amen? You were supposed to be grossed out by that. Christ is the Fiji water. The toilet water is a life without Christ. Or a life where Christ is dumbed down as if he's just like every other prophet. He is not like anyone else. He is God. And if in union with Christ, we believers in Christ are complete, which the Bible describes as filled up to a total fullness by God, why would Christians need anything else? The truth of the matter is we don't. We simply draw on the Lord's completely sufficient power. What is your objective in life. What are you focused on? What's important to you right now? Do you go to God and say, God, this is what's important to me right now. I know that you want to give me the desires of my heart, so I am tapping into your power to make this happen when all I'm, re- all I'm experiencing here in the world is resistance. I know that you can make this occur. No, we don't want to do that. We do it ourselves. Oh, I don't need that help. I don't need any help. I do it myself because I'm strong. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jesus is the head. Chapter 13, verse 1 says this. Every believer in Christ is to be in subjection to the power. 
For there is no civil authority in power except ones that were put in power by God the Father. And those civil authorities which exist in power are established by God. Said another way, pay your damn taxes. Amen? Pay your taxes. As believers in Christ, we report to the highest authority in the universe. Why would we ever choose to listen to anyone else? It's insane. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. And in union with Jesus Christ, you believers in Christ were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision that comes from Christ. And, of course, we're talking about a spiritual circumcision. This is not a reference to physical circumcision. On the eighth day, every Jewish male is circumcised. It's the removal of flesh from around the head of the penis, which is a Jewish ritual to this day. Well, why? Because every time a Jewish male goes to the bathroom, he remembers that he belongs to Christ. That's amazing. That's God's sense of humor. I love it. But they are all into the physical aspect of that. That was a reminder of the, the spiritual circumcision of the spiritual Jews, not the physical Jews. So this refers, this Colossians 2.11 refers to spiritual circumcision. In our bodies, we have what's called the, what the Bible calls the flesh. And you've probably heard it talked about before. It's a nature predisposed to hate God, to hate you, and to hate everyone you love. It's a voice you hear all the time that is always discouraging you. You say you want to lose weight. It says, okay, fatty, you're not going to lose weight. You set a monetary goal. Oh, yeah, on what planet? You're never going to get that. Every time you want to do something positive, it's always putting up the obstacles, telling you what you can't do. That's the flesh talking to you. And unfortunately for you, it's more powerful than you. When I was a Roman Catholic, around this time of the year, there's a period called Lent. It's 40 days before Easter. And what you're supposed to do is give up something for Lent. And so you give up something, and what does it teach you? All it teaches you is you can't give it up. You don't have the willpower to give it up. The flesh overpowers you. And then you violate it, and then you, you think, oh, God's so disappoint, disappointed with me. I better go confess my sins to a priest. And the priest goes, oh, I can't believe you ate the candy. Why? Why can't you believe it? I did it last year. Same time last year, I ate the candy. You know, why is it that the stores put all these Reese cups, they put the Reese cups in egg form. They expect I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to promise I'm not going to eat it, and I'm going to eat it. I just passed by a place on the way here, and it's one of these places where I did a renewal of vows ceremony for somebody. One of the stupidest things ever, renewal of vows. Well, making a vow in the first place is stupid. What's up? Having mic issues? Tell me that's not true.
Check, check, check. Is that good? All right, so I'm going to start over from Colossians 2.11. You got it up? So, in union with Christ Jesus, you believers in Christ were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision that comes from Christ, spiritual circumcision. So this is not a reference to physical circumcision. The removal of flesh from around the head of the penis, which is the Jewish ritual to this day. This refers to spiritual circumcision in our bodies. We have what the Bible calls the flesh, a nature predisposed to hate God, to hate you, and to hate everyone you love, and you are not more powerful than this nature. What God cuts away through spiritual circumcision is the old man, the old self at the moment of salvation. For believers in Christ, the old self is crucified at the cross. It is rendered impotent. It has no power over you except when you listen to it. Yet it's still in us, it's still loud, it's still broadcasting, and you like hearing that a lot more than you like hearing truth. But it is no longer sovereign over us as it is sovereign over unbelievers. It has no power over us. We don't have to listen to it, but sometimes we do. Colossians 2.12 Having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which baptism you believers in Christ were also raised up, resurrected from the dead with Christ through faith in the working of God the Father, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a reference to spiritual baptism, not water baptism. There's another ritual. You will get Christians who believe that they aren't saved unless they get dunked in a tank of water. And that is false. This is a reference to spiritual baptism, the baptism of the Spirit. What is the baptism of the Spirit? At the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, at the moment you place your confidence in Him for your salvation, God the Holy Spirit enters you as a believer in Christ into a permanent union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a baptism you cannot get out of. Here is you, here is Christ, union with Christ, you can't get out of it. No matter what you do. Why? Because God puts you in the union with him, and he never changes, and he's never going to let anybody snatch you out of his hand. That's what he says in John 10, 28. So what does baptism mean then? Baptism means identification with. When we are baptized by God the Holy Spirit, we are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything associated with Christ, his death on a cross, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, all of that is true for believers in Christ as well. As believers in Christ, all things true for Christ are true for us as well. God the Father sees the Lord Jesus Christ as absolutely righteous. You know why? Because he's absolutely righteous. And guess who else he sees as absolutely righteous? You. Well, what do you have to do to be righteous? Nothing. It's a gift that's given to you at the moment of salvation, along with a host of other gifts that would blow your mind if you really stopped to think about it. So the reality of these already given gifts 
is not really apparent to us yet, but they will be, and we will spend the first one million years in eternity blown away by all the things the Lord has done for us. Colossians 2.13, when you believers in Christ were spiritually dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and when was that? From the moment of your physical birth. God the Father made you spiritually alive. That's what it means to be born again. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life. How? Through faith in Christ. And so you are born again. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 made a big joke about it. How can we be born again? A man cannot re-enter his mother's womb, can he? <laughs> yeah, that's real funny, Nicodemus. You better change your mind about that or it's not going to be so funny when you're in the lake of fire. Well, fortunately for Nicodemus, he did change his mind about that. So when you believers in Christ were spiritually dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh from the moment of physical birth, God the Father made you spiritually alive. Oh, wait, did you make yourself spiritually alive? Huh? That's going to be a no. You didn't do it. Could you ever make yourself spiritually alive? No. But there are people right today who believe that they can do something to be so impressive to God that they can become spiritually alive. False. God the Father made you spiritually alive in union with Christ. That's called the spiritual birth, the requirement for your entrance into heaven, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I love all those jokes. Oh, St. Peter is at the pearly gate. St. Peter is chilling in heaven. He, he has no responsibility at heaven's gate. All of the responsibility for heaven belongs to Jesus Christ. And he's not sitting there with some book saying, okay, let me see what you did when you were down on the earth to see if we're going to let you in. It's not like that. But we love believing that crap. And it is absolute crap. That is absolutely false. So, the last part of Colossians 2.13, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's what the cross was about. Forgiveness of everything. How many times do you do that thing where you say you commit a sin and you know you committed a sin and you go to God and say, God, forgive me. Why are you asking for something that's already done? He forgave you in eternity past, and the result is you stand forgiven forever. Why are you asking for forgiveness when you already have it? That's like holding an ice cream cone and then asking somebody for an ice cream cone. Why are you going to ask for something you already have? You're forgiven. So we were in deep debt to God through sin. Not only your personal sins, but Adam's sin, which was credited to your account from your physical birth. Not your fault, but it is your circumstance. And there was no way for you to get out of debt on your own. There was no way for you to get out of debt on your own. Imagine this. Imagine all your sins were listed on a printout. How many shelves in the Smithsonian Institute would be needed to house the record of all your sins? Now, for me, 
all that stuff could fit on one sheet of paper. Amen? Why are you laughing? But seriously, if all of our sins were listed, it would take up volumes and volumes and volumes. What did the Lord do with that printout of your sins? He nailed it to the cross. You are forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, and future. Before you even sin, you're forgiven for the sin. The Lord's work on the cross, Colossians 2.14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which decrees were hostile to us, and God the Father has taken the decrees of the law out of the way, having nailed it, to the cross. What does that mean? Your sins, the printout, was nailed to the cross and those sins were evicted by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. That's an eviction notice that you are excited to see. Imagine being $10 million in debt. With your current income, imagine being $10 million in debt and you're paying 20 to 25% interest on that debt every year. There is no way in your lifetime that you could ever earn enough money to pay that debt off. A person who hears about your problem comes and agrees to pay the debt. That's what Christ did for you at the cross by paying for all of your sins. He took the printout. He knew that you could never pay for those sins and he nailed that to the cross. He paid for your sins with his blood. And not your sins only as believers in Christ, but for the sins of every creature ever in the whole, divine, the whole of divine history. He did something that you could never do. Now imagine someone whose debt is completely paid saying, no thanks, I'll pay it myself. That's unbelievers and Midwesterners. If you're from the Midwest, you would do that very same thing, but that's a whole nother story. There is absolutely no way an unbeliever could ever pay the debt for his own sins. But there are unbelievers lining churches to this very day thinking that they're going to be able to do something to be impressive enough to God to pay for their own sins. Absolutely, positively, no way, no how, ever could you pull that off. But this person wants to do it anyway. I want to earn my salvation. I can't tell you how many friends I've had over the course of the years who have said that very, very impossible thing to me. I want to earn my salvation. You can't. Well, what did God the Father do through Christ at the cross? Colossians 2.15. When God the Father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through Jesus Christ. The Father only did three things. Number one, he defeated our enemies. How? First, by completely disarming them. He stripped them of any weapons that could be used against us. When David faced Goliath and brought a rock to a sword fight, he said, the battle is the Lord's. Then God the Father taunted our enemies embarrassing them in a public spectacle. When Roman generals would conquer a land, they would take the territory, 
They would seize all the weapons. They would take all the spoils, everything of value, including the women, hello, and march the enemy leaders right into Rome on foot and then execute them publicly. Complete embarrassment. We took everything from you and then we killed you so that everybody could see it as a cautionary tale. And then finally, like God the Father, they would announce the victory by erecting an arch commemorating the victory similar to the Arc de Triomphe in France. If you ever go to Paris and you see the Arc de Triomphe, you know that Napoleon was a big copycat because Napoleon would go over to Italy and he would see all these arcs and he would think, what is this? And then he would go to Paris and he created his own arc. And I will tell you, it's one of the most beautiful things you will ever lay your eyes on. And it has the names of all of the heroes of French wars who were victorious. So how did God the Father slaughter the Ugadas proposed by false teachers? He nailed them to the cross. He evicted them. God does everything for us. He saves us. He guides us. And all we do is say yes to everything he proposes. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, The flesh, that part of you, that internal agent inside of you that hates God, sets its desire against God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is against the flesh, for these two are in opposition to one another. Notice, God the Holy Spirit is the one who battles the flesh. Why? Because he's more powerful than the flesh, and you aren't. You are completely powerless against the flesh, that sinful nature inside of you. So when that sinful nature is rearing its ugly head, you simply go to God, the Holy Spirit, and say, please handle. So when false teachers propose the Ugadas, they are inviting you to a fruitless pursuit designed to frustrate you and to rob you of mental serenity. Don't Listen to them. Your debt has been paid in full by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. That's what he meant on the cross when he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's a Greek idiom. It means paid in full. All of your sins are paid for in full. Moses had it right. At the Red Sea, as he led the Egyptian, he led the Jews out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt with the Egyptian army quickly approaching to recapture the Jews whom they released. They said, hey, what do we, what do, we do letting these, that's free labor. What do we do letting them go? With the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them in a completely hopeless situation, what did God do? Moses tells us, Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, do not fear, Stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you on this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. He didn't say, hey, pick up some sticks and rocks and let's go attack the Egyptians. He didn't say, let's swim across the Red Sea. He said, just stand back and watch 
the deliverance of the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He parted the Red Sea. They walked across the Egypt. Two million of them walked across. The Egyptians followed them in. And as soon as the last Jewish person was across, the Lord brought the water right in on top of the Egyptians. And today, to this day, they are still finding parts of chariots and weapons and other things in the Red Sea. And those Egyptians, never going to see them again. They weren't believers in Christ. Never going to see them again. That's what the Lord does for you. He fights for you while you keep silent. The Red Sea parted. The Jews crossed. The Egyptians followed them into the opening of the sea. And they were drowned. The Lord always fights for us. All we have to do is keep silent, resting in the completeness and the fullness God has gifted to us. So what's at the heart of Christianity? Christ, who nailed our burdens to the cross. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, we'll all never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell
Welcome back to today's Bible lesson. What is at the very heart of Christianity? What is at the very heart of Christianity? Well, when you're giving, what's important to God is your attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver that takes care of tithing, that you have some obligation to give 10% of your salary to a church. Give voluntarily, thoughtfully, cheerfully, prayerfully, generously, and enthusiastically. Make sure your attitude is an exact reflection of the Lord. Well, Deacon Denny Goodall is on a well-deserved vacation for the next two weeks, so let me be the one to thank you for your generosity. Like a college kid would say to his mom, I say, send money. And thank you. <laughs> and thank you very much for your support. part of the lesson today is the Lord's Supper celebration. Let's remember how the Lord restored the harmony between us. Let's remember how the Lord restored the harmony between us. Harmony, I am not talking about you. I'm talking about another harmony. So let's enjoy the Lord's Supper celebration. In the Lord's Supper celebration, we remember on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ took bread and he gave it to his apostles. He took a cup of wine and he shared it with his apostles. And what he said is revealed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He said, as often as you eat this bread, representing my body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing my blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of my death until I come again at the second coming. The Lord wants us to remember him. So we keep on celebrating the Lord's Supper, calling to mind all that he did for us at the cross. 
memories incite gratitude in the heart. And gratitude is a weapon against God's enemy, Satan, and against the world system of his evil thought and against the flesh resident in us. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Lord wants us to remember that we are his possessions. For God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness, and the Father transferred us believers in Christ to the kingdom of the Son that the Father loves, the Lord Jesus. Colossians 1.14, the Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is redemption? Redemption is the release from slavery, to be freed by a ransom payment. And we were in slavery to sin. We were under the power of Satan. We were victims of the law, which held an indictment against us. By sinning, we were lawbreakers from the beginning, and our relationship with God the Father was ruined. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ changed everything. His death on the cross and the shedding of his blood not only redeemed us, it also reconciled us. Every human being comes to the earth as a spiritually dead sinner. And because of the betrayal of Adam's sin, which is credited to our account at physical birth, and because of the betrayal of our own personal sins, there is an enmity, a condition of hostility between God and us from birth. Check out Romans chapter 3 if you want to see what that uh, enmity is like. None of us seek for God. No creature is righteous, not even one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a, just a terrible indictment. And since we are powerless to correct the situation, God the Father developed a solution for us. It's called reconciliation. God the Father sent his son to die on a cross to restore the peace between God the Father and all mankind. This restoration is called reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the removal of an enmity. It's the restoration of harmony. It is the reinstatement of peace. Because of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the, at the cross, peace between mankind and God is restored. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 say this, When you believers in Christ were, past tense, spiritually dead in your transgressions, and then the uncircumcision of your flesh, the old self, the old man. God the Father made you spiritually alive. You were born again. You're a born again one if you're a Christian. Together with Christ, in union with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Colossians 2.14 And having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And God the Father has taken the debt out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. Imagine that. Well, I'm going to now share with you all the sins of this person. And then somebody stands up and reads all of your sins. That would be awful. But when we accept the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for our own salvation, we are no longer sinners. 
We are transformed by God into saints. And the result is the restoration of peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been legally justified on the principle of faith in the past, we believers in Christ now and forevermore keep on having peace with God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. Because of our faith, the past is cared for, the present is cared for, the future is cared for. Simply because... We took a gift that God gave us, faith, and invested it in Christ. And we said the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Whatever he did, that's what we're counting on for salvation. We are not counting on ourselves. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. And not only this, much more. We believers in Christ also exult in union with God the Father. We're not just in union with Christ, we're in union with God the Father in pater, in Greek. We're also in union with God the Holy Spirit in pneuma. So not only this much more, we believers in Christ are also exult in union with God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. It was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Colossians 1, 20. And to reconcile the Christ, and through the Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, tearing down the barrier of the dividing wall, canceling the certificate of debt uh, that was held against us, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross, to reconcile all things, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. There's only one way to pay for your sins, and that is the blood of Christ. Nothing you do is good enough. Colossians 1.21 And although you were formerly alienated from the resurrection life and from God the Father, you didn't have eternal life, you actually had everlasting life, life with a beginning and no ending. Now you have, as believers in Christ, eternal life, a life with no beginning and no ending because you share the life of Christ. And although you were formerly alienated from the resurrection life and from God the Father, and although you were formerly hostile in mind toward God, Romans chapter 3, engaged in evil deeds, your trespasses and sins, Colossians 1.22, yet Jesus Christ, has now reconciled you to God the Father in his fleshly body through physical death on the cross. How did the Lord Jesus Christ pay for your sins? Yeah, with his blood. But what he did is he took on the wrath of God the Father and experienced the wrath of his Father to pay for your sins. And for those people who want to pay for their own sins, they will experience the wrath of God the Father, and that's what the lake of fire is. Believers in Christ will not experience that. Now, why did Jesus reconcile us in order to present us before God the Father right this minute as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach? One of the things that Satan is called is the accuser of the brethren. And he is constantly accusing us in, in heaven day and night. And every time he does... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ just yawn. All right, haven't we covered this? 
Haven't we seen the cross took care of this? Why do we keep talking about this? You're like a broken record, Satan. The sins are handled. Well, your believers don't think they're handled. They're always they're still asking you for forgiveness. And they're still beating themselves up every time they make a mistake. If they're not finished with it, why should I be? Is it did anybody bring any juice boxes? <laughs> God gets bored with it. Why do you keep bringing up something that's already resolved? That's Satan. We give thanks to God the Father. We give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ for their selfless work on our behalf. And we thank God the Holy Spirit for revealing the truth to us so that we can enjoy the memories of how much we are loved, how much we are forgiven, and how much grace is at our disposal every minute of every day. At the Lord's Supper, it is our pleasure to remember. Well, let's enjoy the elements, bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember Him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. So, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. Tell us the reasons the Lord wants us to celebrate this meal together. Matthew 26, 26. While the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. Matthew 26, 27. And when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of a new testament, a new covenant. My blood poured out for whosoever for the forgiveness of their sins. We celebrate to remember. Jesus Christ died as our sin substitute. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ will come again to gather us unto himself. We celebrate and we are grateful. Enjoy the elements as you listen to Nicole Mullen remind us that our Reconciler and our Redeemer lives. Who taught the sun where to stand?
the miles can't yeah she's all the way over there in raleigh north carolina and she's going and i know what i know what i know what i know you remember when she used to sing the song she's you knowing you knowing us to death because she knows the redeemer lives closing moments of this study are always the gospel message to the question, how do you get to heaven? We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants is for you to make the most important decision of your life. You are one of God's creatures. And if you choose, you can be a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus' name. The problem is you may think the Lord 
is like our human parents, emotional, arbitrary, and sentimental. Our parents tell us what to do, we do the opposite, and they let us off the hook. Your divine parent, the Lord Jesus Christ, does not operate that way. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 say this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Matthew 24, 25. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Matthew 24, 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Matthew 24, 27, The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. God is inviting you to be saved. He tells you exactly what you have to do to be saved. And God says there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to be saved. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. And you will hear the liars say all the time, oh, there are many ways to God. No, there aren't. There's one, Christ. God has a plan for your salvation. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is the will of God the Father for your salvation? It's simple. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. It takes about 30 seconds of your time to be saved. You simply turn to the God who saves you and ask for salvation. You can do it right this minute, right where you sit. The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, and this is what makes Jesus different from all the enlightened ones and all the other people who are supposedly uh, spiritual. It says this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. But if you ignore God's offer of salvation, there are consequences. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says this, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, and these are all references to unbelievers in lifestyle, not sins, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Their spiritual death, and all of us have that from spiritual, from physical birth. And then there is the second death in the lake of fire. So you're born spiritually dead. And if you don't accept a relationship with Jesus Christ to be born again, the spiritual birth, you will die spiritually dead and you will experience the second death in the lake of fire, the eternal home of those who reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we encourage you to accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. 
It says, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment, not as a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you believe, you simply take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. Do it right now, and you'll be saved for all time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's close with music. The Lord Jesus Christ's wounds at the cross have paid the ransom for our sins, according to Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Let's enjoy them singing about the deep, intimate, and personal relationship, the deep, intimate, and personal, unconditional love God the Father has for us. In their song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Isn't that our greatest wish? Isn't it our wish that somebody would just come along and pay all our bills all the time and just take care of everything for us and all we'd have to do is just get up and scratch our head and laze into the day and that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. That's exactly what he did for us. He took care of everything, but we can't accept it. We gotta worry. We gotta bite our nails. Uh, it's better than getting a, a manicure. You know, just keep biting your nails and wondering if everything's gonna work out for you when God already worked it out for us. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for purchasing us from slavery to sin. We thank you for repairing our relationship with you through reconciliation. We thank you for making our enemies impotent against us. We thank you for stripping them from their weapons against us. And we thank you for making a public spectacle of them. And as we go forth into the week, help us to remember that we have the victory through Christ. Keep us from being discouraged by the world. Remind us that in the future, all those who think they are triumphing over us will bow before you and admit with their tongues what believers in Christ have known all along, that Jesus Christ is God, the preeminent one, the sovereign God of all the universe. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor at pastor at Barah Ministries. Dot com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.